millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm David Kern and I quickly wanted to say a word of thanks to some of our friends who are making this show possible. Our friends over at the CLT, the Classic Learning Test, are doing an amazing work. They're a classically-based alternative to the SAT and the ACT, and it's the fastest-growing college entrance exam in America today. More than 90 colleges now accept the CLT, and many of them even endorse the CLT as their preferred admissions test. That's even more than the SAT and the ACT. Students who take the test can benefit from same-day test results and can share their scores with colleges for no additional charge. To learn more or to find out how to take a test, you can head over to cltexam.com. Again, to register for the CLT, you head over to cltexam.com. So again, thanks so much to our friends over at the Classic Learning Test for sponsoring the Cersei Institute Podcast Network this month. It's because of them and partners like them that this network is possible. And with that, enjoy your show. Thanks for listening. Hello, welcome to Ask Andrew, episode 17. I'm Andrew, and I have with me the greatest teacher in the history of the human race, (laughs) me. No, (laughs) No. (laughs) my daughter, Katerina Kern, Katerina Kern who is a teacher in Uganda that many of you, probably all of you, maybe most of you, have been listening to a dialogue, an argue, a fight between uh-huh. father and son about... Father and son! <laughs> sorry, father and daughter. I usually fight with my sons. So a, a fight between father and daughter about the place of classical education in African culture in particular, because that's where, where Katie is. And the discussion has, has gone... Um, down some threads, but basically is is engaging um, an email from from Liz from Kenya, Liz Gitonga from from Kenya, and we're talking about curriculum mainly. I don't think you can separate curriculum from pedagogy, and curriculum is what they learn, and pedagogy is how they learn, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've been focusing mainly on on what we teach them. And at the end of the last session, we were talking about how do you decide who learns what? Some things, tell me if this is a good summary of what we were saying. Some things you teach because they're human yeah, and it's universal. Mm-hmm. And the Bible is a universally valuable text. Homer is a universally valuable text. Yeah, um, Probably Virgil is too. Now, my case, my argument I would be pre- perfectly prepared to make a case for the Tao, the Tao Te Ching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, possibly Confucius. Um, I do teach that. Some of those magnificent um, wisdom texts from the East. I would be prepared to make a case for those as as humanizing texts. They're universal. Okay. Others are. I'm going to put it this way. Others are important for a person to fulfill his duty. Mm -hmm. Okay. So as an American, 
as a citizen of the United States of America, you have a duty to vote. You have a duty to choose your own leader. You have the right because you have the duty. That's our constitutional principle. But if you don't know what the Constitution, if you don't know our government structure, if you don't know where our political system came from, you will not be able to fulfill your duty as a citizen. Mm-hmm. Okay. As a, as a family member, I have duties that require me to learn my family story, the customs and practices and rituals and even laws that apply to my family. Um, or, or I won't be able to fulfill my duty as a member of this family. As a member of, I live in a town called Concord, North Carolina. I need to know the story of Concord, North Carolina, why Union Street is called Union Street. I need to know who the mayor is, the city council. I need to know that or I'm not fulfilling my duty. Mm-hmm. And so on, state and so on. And so whatever a child needs to learn to fulfill their duties when they grow up, we need to teach them. If we yes. don't, they won't be able to fulfill their duties. Right. Mm-hmm. You talked about skills last time. Mm-hmm. And I think there are certain skills, and you were getting at this, I think, yourself, that some of these skills are universal skills. Mm-hmm. I would argue, for example, that the one thing everybody needs to learn how to do well, no matter where they live, no matter what they do for a living, and what everybody needs to learn how to do well is make decisions together. Mm. If you can't make decisions together, you can't have a good society. Mm-hmm. And America's breaking down on that. We, we no longer are good at making decisions together. Now, my contention is that that's because we don't teach the art, the classical art of rhetoric, yep. which is, in my view, my understanding is it is the art of bringing harmony to a community by teaching its members how to make decisions, mm-hmm. right? It's not the art of persuasion. It's the art of making decisions in community. Now, in another context, I can defend that. Um, but all of that said, therefore, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of the universal and I'm thinking in terms of the local. Okay. And then, of course, in, in, in between all that. The third category that would, would make sense to me is the, the concept of a heritage. Okay. I inherited from my family enormous cultural resources. I inherited, I inherited from my country enormous cultural resources. My mother was from Germany. Um, she passed on traces of the German language. Um, she passed on some stories of the German heritage. Um, my father was true blue, red and red, white and blue American, and passed on diligently to me attitudes and beliefs and understandings of what it means to be an American. They also passed on a religious tradition that was incredibly valuable to me. All of those things are a heritage. They enriched my life, and I want, I want everybody in the world to have the richest possible heritage. Okay. So, so my contention is the reason a classical education should go to Africa, China, Russia, um, Asia, um, I know Russia, but South America, everywhere, everybody should get a classical education is because it is the vessel by which the heritage, the rich heritage is passed on. Yeah. So those are the three categories I'm, I'm, throwing out as what I use to kind of think about this, the universal, the local duties, and then the heritage. Mm -hmm. Do those, do those add anything? Are those kind of redundant to you? Does that help? Do you apply those when you think about curriculum or what? what Certainly. Um, Well, 
in terms of what I'm teaching in high school, my students, it's kind of a different situation because my Ugandan students had spent kindergarten to eighth grade learning only Ugandan history. So mostly what I was doing was putting Uganda in a global context for them. Okay. Okay. So I didn't teach really Ugandan history post like 1700. Um, yeah, yeah. Right around there. Um, so, so that's one variable, but classical education, I think does not in any way preclude doing that. If you want to teach the history from your local country, I think that's absolutely a viable option within classical education. We don't have to ignore that by any means. In fact, we shouldn't ignore that. Yeah. Again, I would argue you can't, as human beings, you can't fulfill your duty if you're not both universal and local. Yeah. yeah. And so they have to learn the local. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And where heritage comes in, like I said, I frequently ask my students questions that of stories that has been, have been passed down and what have their tribal traditions been. Um, but also we use a lot of African fairy tales Mm. and there are fairy tales from countries all around the world that we have written down. So fairy tales, I think are really a goldmine for classical education because you're combining so many different things. You've got the normative questions. You've got the gospel being translated into an analogical mode. Well, not that it's not already analogical, but yeah, stories, um, You've got practical skills being practiced, reading, writing, communicating. You can do logic. You can do rhetoric. You can do grammar. You can do everything through one fairy tale. Hmm. So I think that they're really, especially once you get outside of specifically Western culture, I think fairy tales are the best tool that we have within classical education. That's fascinating to me because, again, we're talking about culture, and then you brought up the point that usually in people's curriculum, sorry, Mm -hmm. and you brought up the point that when people talk about curriculum, they usually either refer to subjects or or content. Yeah, yeah. And what I would like to know is, what is the structure from your perspective? What kind of structure should be put in place for a African classical curriculum? Or let's just say a classical curriculum. What should be the structure? Should it be subjects? Should it be books? Should it be, what should it be? Um, well, that is a very big question that I feel like you know the answer to. You're just kind of <laughs> asking me. Um, is that how I brought you up? Well, no, no, I just... That was a very cruel and unkind thing you just said. <laughs> I, I, just... I have, let me say this. I have ideas about the structure of the curriculum that would be best, but I'm not asking this question so that you will express my idea for me and demonstrate Mm -hmm. that you agree with me. I'm hoping you'll challenge my idea so I can understand it better. Okay. I think when we think about what we're teaching, like I said before, it has to come down to the different things that we can teach as humans. Um, We can, we can perceive A truth, we can perceive a work of art, a great text, and we can embrace that. We can enter into it as a stranger. We can meet it and engage with it, and we can learn ideas. We can learn skills very practically. We can learn um, how to read a text, how to analyze a text, how to write a text, how to communicate to others. That's logic and rhetoric right there. We can learn how to speak. Um, So we can learn ideas. We can learn truths. We can learn skills. We can learn habits. Habits of thinking, habits of being, habits of, of relating to other humans. Um, we learn habits every day in school. 
whether that's just coming in and taking a seat and ignoring the teacher and being rude and leaving, or whether it's walking in and asking a question and getting that question answered, or whether it's unfortunately walking in, never asking a question and filling your brain with a bunch of things you don't care about and leaving. Susan Wise Bauer has written a wonderful book on that. I, I actually interviewed her briefly on it Okay. on, on I think Forma, but um, I want to recommend that book to you. Mm-hmm but also to any any readers. And her basic point is that we have a system of education that not very many people fit into. And, and they go to that system and they form habits and attitudes that nobody plans on. Mm-hmm. They just are inevitable. Yeah. And I think that's something we have to think about seriously. I agree. Very seriously. Rethinking school is what she called it. Go I'll on. I have to read that. That sounds very interesting and probably very enlightening. Um, yeah, so we're, we're learning habits every day in school. We're learning, hopefully we're perceiving truths. Hopefully we're engaging with truths. Um, hopefully we're communicating those things that we have learned. Um, and then we're, we're embodying the truths that we're, we're encountering. So I think all of our curriculum has to revolve around those those fundamental foundations and everything else stems from that so then i'll tell you what i believe okay and then you tell me if you agree with this or if it's practicable i believe that the seven liberal arts are the curriculum okay and the seven liberal arts people have heard me talk about this but grammar logic rhetoric you know them arithmetic geometry music and astronomy because all of them are an art of truth perception and harmony that sets us free, right? Mm -hmm. The liberating arts of truth perception and harmony. And then in order to teach those seven arts, you need to, you need, because it includes reading, right? That Mm -hmm. reading is either grammar or rhetoric, depending how you approach it. Mm -hmm. Um, You have these sub skills, if you like, that kids have to learn. We all have to learn, but you can't read nothing. Right. That's kind of what's wrong with modern thought is they think that you can critically think about nothing. Right. right? You can critically think about symbols. You can't. You can't critically think about something that isn't contextualized. Mm-hmm. And if you want to teach a person critical thinking, therefore, in my opinion, there's two books that are better than any, Homer and the Bible. You, you read those books and try to understand mm-hmm. them and you will learn to critically think and then live. Mm-hmm. Right. So in other words, um, I believe that if you, if you, if you make the seven liberating arts your curriculum, um, in other words, the goal of all your instruction is to master these arts of truth, perception, and harmony that set you free, then that will help you as you help you to choose the right materials. You'll need yes. artifacts, okay? Right. You'll need mm-hmm. artifacts. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so you'll need a great painting. You'll need to learn how to see a great painting because right. that's truth perception. Mm-hmm. You'll need how to see what's right in front of you. You'll need to learn how to listen to music. You'll need to learn how to smell sense. I believe that that's education. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you learn how to, as, as you, as you use artifacts to train your senses and your mind to perceive reality, it'll almost, it'll take care of itself in a sense, but you'll always be looking for the best 
You won't be looking for what's amusing and entertaining. You'll be looking for what's going to demand the most yes. of your child. And thus again, Homer, Virgil, foreign languages. Yeah. I don't think a person can be educated if he's only knows one language. And this is, I say that tremendously humiliating to myself who am I'm, I'm, I'm only semi-fluent in English and don't know any other foreign languages fluently. Right. Um, but I'm trying. Um, but if you don't know a foreign language, then you don't know language well. Mm-hmm. True. And, okay, so that's my contention. Sorry, I didn't mean to go that long. That the seven liberal arts are the structure of the curriculum. Okay. And then you use artifacts. You choose artifacts to master the arts. Yes. And then... Having mastered the arts, you start you start studying the sciences. Now I'm going to get into this in later podcasts, so we don't have to go there. But I think mm-hmm. you understand it. Do you yeah. do you believe that's workable, viable, real, genuine? Looking at it from human nature perspective, mm-hmm. and I don't mean now that will the circumstances make it easy for you, but do you right. believe that should be? Do you believe? See, my contention is whether you mean it to be or not, that is what you teach, either well or badly. Everyone or me specifically? Everybody. That's what happens when you teach. You either teach the seven liberal arts well or you teach the seven liberal arts badly. Yeah, yeah. And I think the problem lies when we start to put too much emphasis on the artifacts. When we start to think that the focus is is, is the artifacts themselves rather than the truth that the artifacts are embodying. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. And I think that's why we, we rush through things. Um... And don't spend enough time just looking at things and just contemplating. So sometimes when I'm, let's say, um, uh, the other day I was teaching about the way the the Pope in Rome after he returned from the Babylonian captivity in Avignon, when he returned to Rome and he was trying to solidify his power in Rome again after he'd been gone for 80 years, um, how how he was doing that. So in, in order to start the class, I just put up the Pieta, the, the statue that Michelangelo painted of Mary with Christ in the lap. And I just said, okay, look at this. Like, tell me what you see. And for quite a while, they just told me what it was. And Beautiful. then from there, we talked about, okay, well, what is the Catholic Church saying in this statue? How were they using it by putting it in the place that they did in the mm. Sistine Chapel? What was that about? What's the propaganda there? So, propaganda. Well, in some sense, it is. The propaganda doesn't have to be negative can be positive, ah, okay. but, but there's a message that's being communicated by the placement Seems of the statue. Seems more polite to say message. Okay, sure. What's the message? The message? <laughs> but I mean, it's the Pope in a very interesting time. So That's the truth. I, I feel like I can argue that propaganda is the right term for that context. But anyway, uh, that's just a specific example to say we need to spend more time giving ourselves the freedom to just sit with one artifact because one artifact can tell us everything we need to know about a culture if we're willing to sit with it and really explore everything? that artifact. A lot. A great deal. A great as much, deal. As much perhaps as we can learn. There's so much in what you're saying that's important. I want to, I w- we have to end again, but I want to really drive, emphasize my agreement with this, this point that you said that the problem is focusing on artifacts over the truth they embody. Yeah. Modern thought does not believe in a logos. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it doesn't believe in a logos being embodied mm-hmm. and incarnated. Right. We believe in Christ, the logos. We see. We believe he was incarnated, and that enables us to see that everything is its own small L logos that gets incarnated. We don't have an excuse, therefore, for neglecting this point. 
Right. We, we, our, our belief about reality is that truth is knowable and it's knowable by gazing on it in its embodiment. But if we look at the embodiment as an end in itself and not as a, a vessel for truth, then if I can be forgiven for this, it's like looking at Jesus hanging on the cross as an aesthetic experience. Yeah. Right. right. Not yeah. telling us about the love of God, not telling us the truth that's being embodied in that body hanging on the cross, Mm -hmm. that body that is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And I think that I'm going to push it a step further and say that that, um, one of my favorite books is The Mind of the Maker by Dorothy Sayers. And I've I've contemplated a, a lot about that. I think that the curriculum should be structured on the Holy Trinity. And this is what I mean. That the three things we, we argue about this, but the three things <laughs> that we, we can teach a child. Yeah. I'll, I'll wrap up with this and then give you a final word. Okay. Are truths, or no, I'm going to use the word logos. Logoses, yeah. logoi, plural for logos. Artifacts or embodiments of the truth, or logos. Mm-hmm. And arts, or... Um, tools of perception, means of perception, okay? All three of those things, I believe, are expressed in John 15, 26, where Jesus talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as the Father, and then the Holy Spirit coming as the helper. Mm-hmm. When the teacher teaches, he's playing the role of the Holy Spirit, helping. But what's he helping? Not playing the role of in a substitute sense, right? An analogous sense, but this is why we need the Holy Spirit. We need we need we need help to see the truth that is embodied. Because I can look at an embodiment, an artifact, and never see the truth it's expressing. Right. But if I have somebody who does see it, that person can help me. Can can um, appeal to me. Can can guide me, like the Holy Spirit. And then I can see in the incarnate word, the word itself, right? So that becomes not the structure in the sense of the sequence or or whatever, that's the seven liberal arts, but the structure in the sense of the three kinds of thing we teach are based on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each lesson is based on Jesus' statement that he is the truth, okay? He's not every fact, He's the truth. In what sense? Well, at least this. He's the incarnate word. He's the truth incarnated. And every lesson can be an incarnation of a word. Therefore, he's the pattern of our teaching. And if we think like that, it becomes, in my opinion, in my experience, phenomenally effective and transforming to the teacher, if not to the student. And the seven liberal arts then are the the details, the seven pillars of wisdom, as Solomon put it, but the, the details of how the mind, how the soul learns to gaze on truth. Okay, that was probably confusing, but I get excited. So, and now we've gone really long, So, but I promise to leave you the last word. So, Katie, this might be your last word on the Ask Andrew podcast. <laughs> what do you want to say? <laughs> I, I feel like you just... Closed it off. What? I don't have anything. 
to add that's going to be helpful. I think that's good. Well, then help me think, just say something about whether that's going to do you any good in, in your experience in Uganda. And a person like the, our friend in Kenya developing curriculum. I don't want to have the last word. <laughs> um, well, to the friend in Kenya developing curriculum, let's talk. I would love <laughs> to work with you on, on that curriculum. Um, regarding what you're saying, I think it's just a reminder to me of so many times when my students have felt so connected to the ancient world or so connected to what we're learning or so alive by Dante or whatever it is. I, I just... I want to encourage anyone who's teaching outside of America or outside of the Western context that we are all human and God became man. And that's a really marvelous thing about what it means for man to just contemplate being a man, being mm. part of mankind, being men and women within within that. So I think that if we can celebrate the incarnation, especially in our own attitude towards ourselves and towards our cultures, then that can animate all of all of what we're doing in education mm. and kind of enliven the students as well. Wow, was this a long podcast. Yeah. Katie, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I love talking with you. You too. I can't ask you if you can come back for another one because I don't know if we'll be able to do any more while you're here, but someday I hope we can do some more. Yep, yeah, I'd love to. Hey, Katie. Yes. I love you. <laughs> I love you too. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.